Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast. This is a bonus episode. We are interrupting our regular schedule of Tuesday morning releases uh, to bring you this show. Uh, This is actually a conversation that uh, myself and Nick had with Aaron Salvato. Aaron Salvato, uh, amongst many other things, he is the uh, content manager for Calvary Global Network. Uh, he also hosts the, the great Good Lion podcast and a, and a bunch of other stuff. He interviewed Nick and I for the CGN Leaders podcast, and he specifically had a bunch of questions for us about the, the season leading up to Easter how can we be preparing our hearts and our minds? Uh, we, we spoke about Good Friday and ways to maximize that evening to really impact people uh, with the, the sober reality of the death of Christ as a way and a means of preparing our hearts and the congregation's hearts for the annual celebration of the wonderful good news of the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth from the dead. And so this is a very practical, it jumps back and forth between like the practicalities and then also the the big picture theory and theology of what it means to preach the resurrection on Easter. I hope that you enjoy this show. Uh, It was great to be able just to think through and talk through these issues. Easter is a big Sunday, and I hope that this conversation helps prepare your heart and maybe even helps prepare your notes for what's coming up in just a few short days from now. All the best. I'm going to get out of the way. And here is Aaron Salvato talking to me and Nick Cady about preaching Easter sermons. Hey, everybody. I'm here with my friends, Nick Cady and Mike Neglia. How's it going, guys? It's going well. It's going great. I'm having a good afternoon here in Ireland. What about you? I wish I was having a great afternoon in Ireland. That would be fantastic. But uh, I'm here in Oklahoma and uh, it's pretty great. Nick, where are you? I I'm in Colorado. I went for a run this morning. It was 30 degrees and I'm invigorated. That's awesome. (laughs) Awesome, man. Well, why are we here? We are here (laughs) because you guys are preachers and you have a podcast about preaching the Expositors Collective, not just a podcast, but sort of a movement. Uh, Could you guys briefly explain Expositors Collective? Sure. Yeah, I'll go, I'll go first. Um, it's a kind of a training initiative that uh, myself and Nick and some others have been involved in for the past couple of years. We're really excited about um, training and equipping the next generation of Christ-centered Bible teachers. And uh, we have a, a weekly podcast that supplements these training events that we've done uh, across the U.S. and uh, one of them in Europe. And we're looking forward to um, getting new and young Bible teachers, uh, encouraging them and doing what we can to really raise the standard of uh, biblical teaching uh, in our movements and beyond. It's great. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And I would just add, you know, it's a growing network. That's a big part of who we are is that we intend to keep growing this and we intend to, you know, it's not just pastors, but just lay leaders, people who want to encourage and mentor the next generation. So Mike, Mike is the host of the podcast. I show up every now and then kind of as a, as a surprise, probably not like (laughs) 
uh, a surprise that everybody loves, but I show up every now and then. I, I think of you as like the, the, uh, the assistant podcaster, you know, and it's always, uh, go. I'm always blessed when you show up, man. And I, I love anything that has you guys together, which is why I'm stoked to be doing this with you guys today. Um, so over at CGN where I work, uh, we were talking about content and we were talking about Easter and I was chatting with Britt Taylor who works over in our content department as well with me. And, uh, we were just talking about Easter and our audience in CGN is a lot of pastors. It's a lot of leaders. And we were just talking about, you know, how, man, it's, it's gotta be hard to preach Easter sermons at times. It's gotta be difficult. It's gotta be challenging for me, even in my experience as a pastor, I was never a guy who was super excited about holidays. I I was like, (laughs) I want to go through a book, you know, I want to go through the gospel of John. Uh, But when a holiday came around, it was like, oh no, we got to figure out how to make this work. And so um, that's what we want to talk about today with you guys is just what it's like to preach through Easter. And um, hopefully this will be a big help to a lot of pastors and leaders and preachers. So thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us, Aaron. Yeah, I really hope I really hope it helps. Like like you said, I also have a bit of maybe anxiety is too strong of a word, but definitely as these big you know high holy days come up, um, it's always kind of this pressure of like, okay, what are we going to say this year? What's what's the twist going to be this year? So yeah, how do you make it fresh? How do you make it unique? Right? Yeah, and that's what we're going to get into a bit. So let's get into it. All right. So Mike and Nick, we're talking about Easter and we're talking about what it's like to prepare Easter sermons. We're, we're speaking to pastors and leaders, youth pastors, even you know children's ministry volunteers, uh, anyone who is in charge of communicating the Easter message to others. And so let me just start with a simple question for you guys. How do you approach your Easter sermon? Like what, what is your methodology uh, what, what is your approach to Easter? Yeah, I guess I'll jump in there. Um, you know, here's the thing that I've learned over the years is that Easter is a time for proclamation, not necessarily for, uh, being novel. I think when I was a younger preacher, I thought in terms of like, how do I make this novel? What's the new twist I'm going to put on this? Um, but I heard a phrase a couple of years ago that stuck with me. In fact, we put it on our bulletin board in the um, in our in our staff area, and it's just the phrase "clarity over creativity." So the way that I've approached Easter for the past few years is that I think you want to be cognizant of the fact that there are many visitors in the room, and that's a good thing. Uh, one good piece of advice I've heard is never uh, never criticize people, especially on Easter, who only come on Easter. You know, I, I've heard pastors do that. They'll be like, oh, hey, here you guys are. We'll see you again at Christmas or something like that. Or, you know, where have you been this whole time? Kind of scolding people. What a bummer. I don't think it's a, yeah, it's not a time for that. It's a time to celebrate the fact that these people are there and do clarity over creativity. Mm. And so I want my sermon to be um, clear. I want it to maybe be a few minutes shorter than my average sermon. Um, and if possible, I try to couch it in a, in a series, but I don't, uh, it doesn't have to. So I think the clear proclamation of what happened is what's needed on this day, not necessarily something novel. Mm. 
Nick, I am so mad at you. I was going to say like all of those things. <laughs> we should have talked before. Yeah. Uh, you're just like, I haven't written that. And like, oh, that, that, yep. So, I mean, pass. What do I, what do I do? <laughs> well, okay. Let me, let me, uh, let me do a follow-up question for you specifically, Mike. So, so you have an excuse to say something. Uh, sure. So Nick mentioned uh, the importance of clarity over novelty, but you know, is there a part of you that maybe has some thought towards, okay, there are going to be people in my congregation like, like Aaron Salvato, who's a pastor's kid who grew up literally just hearing so many sermons and who has heard a sermon message every year for his entire life. And, and so, you know, sometimes people have a tendency uh, for it to just kind of gloss over because it's just like, hey, I've heard this. So is there a place for novelty? Maybe not making novelty the main point, but do you ever find a place for, okay, how can I breathe some freshness into not trying to come up with new truth, but how do I present old truth in a fresh way that's going to possibly grab somebody who maybe has sat their entire life listening to Easter sermons, but, but maybe the Lord's going to use it in a way that's going to grip them uniquely. Yeah, I think I've overestimated the, um, A, the attention of people in the past, and then that massively overestimated the retention of people. So I, you know, maybe fall prey to what many of us do is thinking that I cannot say anything that I said last Easter because people have been there last Easter. There's going to be the faithful few or the faithful many who were there last year and they're there this year and they'll be there um, this coming next year as well too. So there needs to be something completely new each time. The reality is by um, that time, that dinner time, most people have forgotten much of what you're saying. So you want to make your point, make it clear, make it plain, make it memorable. And if there's like a sentence summary that sticks with people, then that's a real win. And so I have, yeah, agreed, come to agree with Nick that uh, clarity is more important than creativity, that just get the the message of the good news of the resurrected Jesus um, plain and clear and and simple, like explaining the gospel clearly is more important than doing it in a different way each and every year. Hmm. That's good. I, I like that. And as much as I'm somebody who appreciates creativity and variety and, and, and even novelty, I, I have recognized there is something so powerful about that simple message. And it's this idea of, you know, even for us as preachers, we need to continue to preach to ourselves the message of Easter all throughout the year. Like we need that truth to grip our hearts. Um, you don't want to just get up and just be preaching this Easter sermon because it's what you're supposed to do. You want to be excited about that message. And, and so that's, that is what then requires the constant continual preaching to yourself of the reality of Jesus's death and his resurrection. And so no, it's good guys. That's it's good. When it comes to preaching Easter sermons, is it hard to keep the message fresh every year when it's something that kind of like Christmas messages, it's something that happens every year. And even in your own heart, is it easy to kind of slink into some complacency where it's like, oh yeah, I know how to do this. Like, 
I'm just going to do what I've always done. I'm going to pull out the old notes from every year. Or, or is there a part of you that's like, how do I go to the Lord and ask him, what do you want to do for Easter this year? How can we keep Easter Mm. fresh? Not trying to be novel, like we talked about before, but trying to say, what does the Lord want to do this year for Easter? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a great question. And, you know, I'm, I have uh, been preaching um, for 16 Easter's, I think maybe 17, uh, I think 17 Easter's I've, I've preached a lot of Easter sermons and then also with a variety of like sunrise services as well too. And on those um, it's, it's two sermons in a row on, on the same day. So I think I've done probably, you know, 30 or so Easter sermons over, over these past 16, 17 years. And yeah, of course there's this idea of like, well, how does it, how does it stay fresh? It's the same old message. It's the same old story again and again. And there is a little bit of, you know, like Easter fatigue that can set in. Um, One of the ways that I've like for the past several years, um, a practice that I've implemented that for me has made um, the excitement of the resurrection of Jesus like really come alive is I've really like leaned into um, the practice of Lent, uh, which is the uh, the 40 days um, prior to Easter uh, being a time of like sustained abstinence and um, really a conscious time of like acknowledging like our embedded and indwelling sin. And so quick, quick, I have a uh, quick question on that too. Can, sure. you, can you just briefly explain what Lent is? Cause I feel like in our uh, Calvary Chapel crowd, Lent kind of falls into that same category as Advent where people are like, that sounds Catholic. I don't know if I want to do mm. that, you know? So yeah. maybe. Good. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for clarifying. That. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, I, I live in Ireland, which has a, which has a large uh, Catholic majority. And so uh, the, the terminology is, doesn't need explaining here. Um, and it's not always the best thing to do. If it's an empty religious practice, then it should be discarded. Um, and so for myself, having not grown up in the tradition and looking at it from the outside, I thought, hmm, maybe there's some value in this. And so it's a time, yeah, of technically it's 46 days uh, between uh, Ash Wednesday and Easter Sunday. Um, and so during those 46 days, there's um, it's a time of uh, fasting for 40 days with six break days built in. Uh, the original cheat day is the Sundays during Lent. So if a person is going to give up a certain thing, um, say chocolate or something like that, or something more significant or less significant, it's six days of abstinence followed by a, a miniature feast day on Sunday and, when they're able to eat the thing again or or engage in the practice once more. And does it carry the and, same sort of philosophical position as like fasting where it's like I'm going to abstain from something in order to then draw myself closer to the Lord? You know, when I'm desiring that chocolate, it's going to remind me of how I should be desiring Christ. And then hopefully I'm going to turn to prayer. Is that sort of the, the same it, idea? It's a, it's such it's such a spectrum. Hmm. So uh, certainly, I'm sure that it was designed with that in mind. Um, I mean, well, here, here's a spectrum. On the one hand, it could be like it could be that. I mean, that's how I try to do it. <laughs> like I'm trying to do it with the absolute best motives possible. Um, that as I, you know, whatever I've given up this this year, as I habitually reach for the thing, or as the time comes for me to do X, you know that that's a conscious reminder of like, okay, I'm abstaining from that. And the time that would be devoted to that is going to be unto the Lord and to mm. his service or unto my private prayer. Mm. So there's, there's that, or it could go in a very religious route where someone can be giving things up with the point of saying, I'm 
making atonement for my sins. Mm. I'm earning favor with God by doing this. Right. So those are two two reasons. What we'd want. Not at all. Yeah. And also I've just seen loads of stuff, you know, magazine articles about like, you know, secular Lent or giving something up just for the purpose of like a a diet or something like that. So there's, there's a whole spectrum, Mm. but, but Aaron, when I do it, it's okay. I just want (laughs) you to know that I'm doing it for the right reasons. Well, how, how does, how does the Lent thing play into your own, Easter. Yeah. So, so this makes Easter and, really, really exciting pre- for me. You're yeah. preaching in Easter. Okay. So I have, um, yeah, so whatever, like, I don't want to talk about what I've given up, but I've, I've given up kind of a, um, something, something that I really enjoy, um, like breakfast and lunch. So, um, <laughs> Just so you guys know that it's not something crazy. Yeah. So I've like, um, during Lent, I, I eat one meal a day and except when I'm in Philadelphia, Nick, in case you remember, like, wait a minute, I had, I had lunch with him. <laughs> so during, during Lent, there's things that I enjoy that I consciously give up every single Sunday. I'm able to like experience those things again. And it's kind of a reminder. Mm. The only reason why I'm able to enjoy this or any good thing is because of like the work of Christ. Mm. But then the following Monday, it goes back to that time of abstention once again. And it's like, for me, it's like, it's six weeks leading up to the ultimate Sunday, Easter Sunday, where then the the period or the time of abstention or fasting has ended. Hmm. So it means that for the 40 days prior to Easter, I'm just thinking of my indwelling sin, the need for redemption of the world. And then as we get closer and closer to the events of Good Friday and Easter Sunday, I'm just actually quite excited about it. So the question is, how do we keep it fresh after so many times? Like I essentially uh, like impose this time of abstention or moderation or fasting so that Easter is truly a celebratory time uh, for me. Hmm. And hopefully that comes through in my uh, my preaching. Not that I talk about it. It's just kind of a silent thing unto the Lord. However, it just makes like Easter like a real foretaste hmm. of the eternal feast that is to come. Interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and I, it totally, to me, it, I understand how it's something that would put you in that Easter mindset. So I, I like that. And Nick, do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah. So I actually have um, a, a philosophical, I guess, disagreement with the practice of Lent. And I'll explain why. I, hmm. I love that Mike does it. And I love your explanation, Mike, that you said that this makes Easter a celebratory time. And I think actually that's that's really good. So I'm not disagreeing with you personally. I just personally, uh, here's what happened. I took a seminary course on the history of Christian worship, the development of it. This is years ago now. But since then, I, I was kind of surprised to find something. Here's what I found. Like the, the development of Lent came about in this way, that in the early days of Christianity, while Christian... Um, initiation as a practice was still being sorted out in the first few hundred years of the church. There were large portions of the church where baptism was done almost exclusively on Easter. And so the the formation of the Lenten practice came from uh, that was a time of preparation and catechesis or, you know, teaching uh, new catechumens, right? People who were being baptized. Um, That was a time of teaching them in preparation, and they would fast in preparation for their baptisms. If you go back to the earliest documents after the Bible, uh, there's a document called Didache, which means the teachings. And that document states that those who are going to be baptized should fast in preparation for their baptism. So Lent essentially came about as a preparation for that. But what happened is with the introduction of pedo baptism, uh, baptism of infants, and, you know, the, again, with the doctrine of original sin, and then with uh, 
Christianity becoming the primary and then official religion in the Roman Empire, what happened is that everybody was baptized as infants. And so what do you do with that 40 days of, of preparation? Well, it just became a ritualized thing where people were encouraged to uh, fast um, and abstain from things, um, you know, and that can have a lot of good results. But here was the other part of it, that after Easter, there was a period called what we call in English Easter tide, which was the 40 days uh, coming after Easter. And here's what's interesting. For that 40 days, people were forbidden from fasting. They were also not allowed to kneel when they prayed. So you think about many, uh, you know, traditional church services where there's a lot of kneeling and things like that. Well, for the 40 days after Easter, uh, at least at some periods in church history, during this time, people were forbidden from fasting, forbidden from kneeling when they prayed because kneeling is a posture of contrition. And so those 40 days were set aside to uh, celebrate the purpose of, of or so for the purpose of celebrating new life, forgiveness and redemption that we have as the bridegroom has come as the first fruits of those risen from the grave. So it's a 40 day season of joy. But around um, at some point in church history, you know, we dropped, at least in the Western church, we dropped the emphasis on the 40 days of joy and we only kept the 40 days of contrition. Hmm. And I know this about you, Mike, because we've talked about it, that you actually do uh, enjoy that 40 days of celebration as well. I guess mm. just as a cultural practice, I feel like um, I, I just don't think it's a healthy balance where most Christians I know, even evangelical Christians who've tried to take on the practice of, of Lent, uh, they keep the contrition and the self-denial part without uh, celebrating the celebration part, the celebratory part. And for me, I guess I just don't see a whole lot of benefit in the the contrition and self-denial aspect now that our bridegroom has come. Now, mm. I, I totally get Mike's point, but here's one thing I do, and, and it actually relates to both Lent and Eastertide, is that I've tried to do this for the last couple of years. I'm doing it this year. I'll try and do a series that builds up to Easter Sunday and then a second series that builds after it. So we'll do, you know, shorter series that build up to and then kind of come off of um, Easter. Yeah. And and likewise, this year we're doing um, seven weeks on the seven deadly sins and then we're having Easter and then it's going to be eight weeks of the Beatitudes, mm -hmm. you know, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, et cetera. So it's a focus on sin leading up to it. And then a focus on the the blessed life of following King Jesus afterwards. Hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I love hearing both you guys' perspectives on it. And I love just that we're talking about different ways that churches and pastors can do things that are out of sort of the ordinary as far as the, you know, kind of traditional American Christian church of just, you know, having your, your Easter service. Um, I, I love these kind of supplementary things that help us get in that mindset of Easter. Something that the church that I attend out here did that was really interesting and really impactful on me was um, we had a good Friday service and it was unlike any good Friday service I've ever been to. Um, <laughs> so like the intent of it was uh, the, the only way I can describe it is mournful. Like the lights were dim. Like, I think we had like candle lights. Like a lot of people would probably think it seemed pretty weird. I thought it seemed weird at first, but it's just, everything was super dark. And you know, the only lighting in the church was candles and the worship was just like the most somber worship experience I've ever had. And it was just 
all the worship songs were the ones that talk about our sin and just like the, the way that it affected Jesus and all of all, all you know, just, it, you could feel the pain in the room. And, um, we would have different members of our church get up, uh, different people on staff and leaders get up and just read sort of these liturgies about the weight of sin. But then throughout all of it, the pastors kept coming out and just pointing us to, Hey, Easter's coming. Like, and, and we want you to sit with the weight and, and, and guilt of sin. We want you to understand it. And it was interesting because it was this sort of ascetic environment that actually really allowed me to sit with my own sins and consider the weight of my own sin. And when Easter actually came around, I appreciated it so much more after sitting through that Good Friday service. So I, yeah, I, I think that there's lots of interesting things that we can do as church leaders. And, and really it, it's, it's all about, I think, symbolism. It's about pointing people to these symbols that point to the, the greater truth. Um, it's about more than just getting up on a stage and speaking, but it's, it's an entire experience of helping people understand what the reality of Easter is. So yeah, no, I, I, I appreciate the stuff you guys have thrown out. Thank you. Yeah, and we have our our Good Friday service, which uh, I, I like. I like what you describe. You know, it sounds like you guys go hard and and go dark. It was hardcore. And yeah, super dark. Yeah, and and that's yeah. But but for, for many years. But not not a focus on guilt and shame. I'll just say, like, it wasn't like they were trying to shame us. That wasn't the goal. It yeah. was more just reminding us of the weight of sin. Mm. Certainly. Yeah. Well, I guess myself and Nick, each of us have like a real appreciation for for church history, and we've been commemorating Good Friday uh, with something called the Tenebrae service, yeah. which essentially is is that kind of maybe it's like it's all of Lent compressed into one evening. And Tenebrae, I believe, is Latin for darkness, and it's you know we have all the lights off except for like seven candles, <laughs> and. Um, we, we have songs, you know, come and mourn with me a while, um, those, those types of songs. And then, uh, myself and the other elders, um, we, we read, um, the seven sayings of Jesus from the cross, um, with a brief exposition of it. And then in the conclusion of each one of the sayings, we extinguish one of the candles mm. and it gets, you know, darker and darker and darker. Love that. And then after the, after the death of Christ, the final candle is, is extinguished. And then we have a silent dismissal mm. and everyone leaves the service in silence. Mm. And, you know, we say, Hey guys, you know, there's a time for celebration and it's not tonight. Mm. Yep. You know, weeping may last, you know, for, for, for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And so Sunday is coming and we have that, that turns it into celebration. And so, whereas with the Lent stuff, like for me, that's very private. Like I, I, you know, very few people even know like, you know, the thing or the thing, or even the fact that I practice Lent, I usually keep it very, pretty silent because it's, it's a complicated practice. A lot more people Here I am know talking now. about a podcast. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Dozens of people who listen to this podcast. <laughs> um, yeah. However, however, like I, I think the value, uh, you know, kind of compressing it all into that one evening, because with, with our church and many of our, you know, COVID Global Network churches, like are full of people who love each other mm. and are excited to see each other. And there is fellowship and you have your tea and coffee afterwards and you stay in chat. And then that one, you know, one service a year where you leave in silence, you know, people just yes. walk home to their apartments yeah. or they get in their car and they drive away and there's no greeting. And, and then Sunday is very exciting based on the journey that we've taken, whether it's 40 days or whether it's one evening, there's a journey through the darkness that makes the sunrise of Easter. 
more exciting. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and my church did the same thing where they said, okay, everyone leave, but just leave in silence. Don't even talk to one another. And it was the most bizarre thing. But again, it, it, you know, I remember walking to my car with my wife and just looking at her and being like, this is heavy. Like <laughs> I am very reminded of the weight of my own sin. And that's a good thing. We live so much in the realm of grace and forgiveness and love, which is amazing. And we need those things. But I think we need to be reminded of the weight of our sin. And I think it's that reminder that helps us not to stumble back into old sins, which we so easily and and many Christians so easily do the continued reminder of, Hey, this is the cost of the cross. This is what Jesus went through. Um, that it, it, it's precious. So it's, it's helpful. Yeah, we do Tenebrae as well. Uh, We had a thing last year where we were trying, we got these dimmable lights because (laughs) I think the ideal way, I mean, there's probably many ways to do it, but the ideal way, like Mike's saying, is that it gets darker as the service progresses until you end in darkness. Hmm. And, uh, but then we had a problem with our dimmable lights and we just couldn't turn them down. (laughs) Were they sliders? Uh, no, they're like, it's like a button. But so we ended up doing it in darkness, actually, the whole time. But uh, ideally, hopefully we can get those lights dialed in this year. <laughs> make it yeah. more of a sensory experience. We'll, we'll, we'll pray for that, Nick. Thanks. And, you know, hey, CGN guys, it's okay if you don't do this. Like, maybe we're all just like three grim dudes. Um, I mean, I don't know how to, how to do that. I wish I had my robe on so I could pull up my hood, you know, light a little candle. So Mike and Nick, I think a question that would be good for other pastors and leaders to hear is what gets you guys excited about Easter? Hopefully the the goal would be that it would help them get excited about Easter. And I think uh, I would also tack on to that just are, are there times in your own ministry where you've struggled to get excited for Easter for various reasons? I think I've had more struggle getting excited about Christmas. To hmm. me, uh, hmm. that's the one that's harder to get excited about. But for Easter, I've never really not been excited about it. But I'll tell you what I do to keep myself excited hmm. is that I, I want to be asking myself the question, right? What is the hope of the resurrection? And just be milling that over in my life. I think that, you know, it's pretty easy to figure it out, especially in the midst of, of really difficult times, like, you know, having gone through a pandemic right now with the war in Ukraine and with so Mm. much uh, evil and destruction in the world, you know, it just, it's very clear that this is the hope that we have in Jesus. It's the hope of a better life, you know, to be raised up as um, it says in Hebrews 11, Mm. the hope of being resurrection to a better life. And I think that making that hope palpable for people, it's one of those times when you can talk about these themes that grab people by the heart. You know, Mm. there's something to be said for the fact that people repeatedly watch the same movies and read the same books Mm. just with different characters. And at the heart of these themes is this hope that this present world and the present darkness will not last forever. There is coming a hope. uh, There is coming a a better life. And Mm. that that's not just a um, pie in the sky type of wishful thinking that because Jesus rose from the grave, we have that hope and it is a sure hope. So that stirs me up and I, I love talking about it with people. And I, for me that, that gets me excited just 
So I think the the more that you see uh, the darkness and brokenness of the world, the more Easter becomes exciting. Love that. Yeah. And just remembering how as much as as evangelicals, we're what's called a, a cruciocentric people, um, focusing upon the, the cross mm. of, of Christ. Mm. Um, realizing that's that's only half of the story. And um, as Paul talks about in Romans, um, it says that it'll be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and he was raised for our justification. Mm. Uh, just realizing that great gift of justification, of being counted righteous, and, and that is connected and that is like a gift that accompanies the resurrection of Jesus. Mm. So considering like the historic events, but then also considering like the, the deep and rich and eternal theological realities that come from the resurrection. Uh, for me, that just kind of like gets me goading. So what gets me excited about Easter Sunday? Well, like justification, <laughs> um, yeah, like being counted righteous and seeing as how that is like, that is like the, the trail of his robe uh, from his resurrection event. Love that. It's great, guys. Thank you. So Mike and Nick, as we're speaking about Easter, I think it would be fun to ask, what is the worst Easter sermon that each of you have preached? And to add to that, what are some common pitfalls that you think pastors fall into when they preach Easter messages that lead to not the best of Easter sermons? Okay, well, I'll, I'll go first. Um, you know, you sent me these questions in advance. And at first I was like, I don't think I've preached any bad Easter sermons. <laughs> and then mm. as I sat mm. and thought about it for about 30 seconds, I actually, I remembered, um, I, I, I don't remember the sermon. I remember walking around with my wife just being so glum and cast down and her like trying to cheer me up. And I was, and I was saying like, Rachel, I've ruined it. Rachel, it's like the most important day of the year and I've ruined it. So this was actually back in 2004. Uh, this is before I was like an ordained or full-time uh, uh, pastor, but I was, I filled in um, and I, I, I filled in on Easter Sunday. And so this is the first Easter sermon I ever preached in my life. And I was preaching on uh, 1 Peter uh, verses 13 to 25. So first, that's a whole lot of verses mm. for a Easter sermon. So yeah. that's maybe, maybe the first mistake. And I, you know, like good Calvary Chapel, I was like, listen, you got to do verse by verse, every single verse. And so started in verse 13 and I was looking at it and like, like, it's like, okay, in the beginning, it talks about like, you know, we're redeemed from our lawless deeds that he passed over in former ignorance. So like my first point was like, stop sinning. Like your <laughs> deeds are lawless and they're bad. So knock it off. Your deeds are bad. And then the next point is that you should believe in the resurrection because in verse 21, it says that God raised him from the dead. So it's like, all right, guys, Jesus rose from the dead. You better believe that. <laughs> and then the next part was that you should read your Bibles because it says that, um, you know, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. 
So make sure you're reading your Bibles, everyone. So that was it. It was like, stop sinning, believe in the resurrection and read your Bible every day. Wow. And <laughs> I, 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 I had, I guess, even the, the self-awareness at the end to be like, ooh, that was bad. <laughs> like you hear it coming <laughs> I, out I, of I, your I, mouth and you're I like, know. this is not good. <laughs> yeah. But I, I wish that I had uh, the foresight to even look at my notes in advance and be like, wait a second. Mm, like, mm. you know, if, if this is simply a sub point between stop sinning and act correctly, mm. That's that's wrong. So so again, those are true things. We shouldn't sin, and and we should read the Bible. But um, on 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 a day like that, like the resurrection of Christ should be central mm. rather than one sub point um, amongst my my other rants. If I would have heard that message, the whole ending with like just read your Bible, it's kind of that moralism yeah. thing where you walk away and you're like, oh, so Jesus rose from the grave, so I could be a better Christian by reading my Bible. And if I don't, then I stink. So uh, I'm glad you had the self-awareness to recognize that man. But uh, Nick, what, what about you? Yeah. Man? So I'm going to, I'm going to give you two um, because as, as Mike was talking, I remembered another one. So I would say one of the ones that I remember really clearly that I've regretted since I preached it was uh, early on in my uh, pastoring experience. And I preached a, a message and I remember thinking I should never do that again. And what it was is that I spent the whole sermon basically just going over arguments against the resurrection and like talking about why those arguments were wrong. Like apologetics and, mode, basically. Yeah. Like, mm. here's what some people think. Here's what Muslim people think. Mm. Here's what mm. these people think. And I think I had like three or four of them. And I just went through it. And I'm like, afterwards, I'm like, yeah, that was, I guess, informative, but it was not celebratory. It wasn't declaring the truth of the resurrection and the hope of the resurrection, applying it to people's lives, the difference that it makes, what's at stake. And I regretted it afterwards. You know, I, I've learned that it's better to proclaim the resurrection than to argue for it on Easter. But the the other example I have, okay, so we started our church, we planted a church in Egger, Hungary in 2005, and our, our first Sunday was on Easter. And so, you know, there's all this expectation, we had invited all these people, and I remember that uh, we got there, we got set up, and then, um, you know, because it was a church plant, we kind of knew who all was going to show up. And so... Um, I remember that we had to delay the start of the service by like 20 minutes because some people were coming by bus and their bus had gone into a ditch. And so they had to <laughs> send another bus to like rescue them. And so when they finally arrived, we started. And then, you know, I was leading worship. We had like transparencies, you know, being with an overhead projector as back oh. in the day. Classic. And uh, yeah, then I noticed that like everybody in the seats was pretty distracted, but I'm like, hey, this is, this is Easter Sunday. You guys should be paying attention right now. So afterwards I asked my wife, hey, you why said was that every... from the stage? No, 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 I didn't. Oh, okay. But I, I just kind of, that was <laughs> your my mind, yeah. demeanor probably. So then my, <laughs> I asked my wife afterwards, I'm like, hey, what happened that everybody was so distracted during the service? And she said, well, so what happened is um, right outside this, this room had all these windows on the sides, kind of like a half circle. So she said, what happened is that apparently these windows are two-way windows, right? Like you can see out, but people can't see in. <laughs> and right outside the window, uh, some lady had come and hiked up her skirt and was uh, relieving herself uh, no. right outside the window. Yeah. And uh, so, so, and it wasn't, it was, uh, it was number two. No. And so she was doing it right there, right outside the window. <laughs> 
And so I'm pretty sure nobody remembers what I said that Sunday because they were just horrified at what had happened outside the window. So I'm not sure that one was on me, but um, that was the worst Easter that I can remember. You can feel free to take that out. (laughs) I'm leaving it in. That's, uh, that's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for that lovely image, Nick. Um, that, yeah, I'm pretty sure that most people were probably, they probably think back and remember that was the worst Easter of my life. (laughs) Uh, wow. Well, Hey, Hey Nick, I don't have much to say about the second one, but the first one, um, yeah, I, I I wonder, you know, I'm actually reading this um, brilliant kind of like apologetically oriented book right now called The God I Won't Believe In mm. uh, by mm. my friend and colleague, Nick Katie. Oh. And so I know that you believe in the importance of like answering people's questions or objections. At what point do you think is, is it worthwhile to have you know, maybe like the the reasons for actually believing that a, a man rose bodily from the grave. Um, how how should that play into an Easter Sunday message, if at all? No, that thank you, Mike, for that, and I I appreciate every part of what you said. Um, but here's I actually wanted to make a note of that. I do think it is important to maybe help people understand that it is historically reliable to believe that mm-hmm. what the Bible says is true. And yeah. uh, and that might include saying, hey, here are some of the things that people claimed about, you know, some of the alternative explanations for Jesus' resurrection. Um, you know, some people might have said he swooned or that uh, his body was stolen, etc. Um, I guess my point is saying it, it was more of a posture issue for me that I realize now looking back, and I mentioned this in some things I said earlier, that proclaiming the gospel is yeah. much more important than just assuming the gospel. And think about what I was assuming, I think, in in the way I posed that one message that I regret now. I was assuming that my listeners were either antagonistic to what I was believing, that I believe in the mm-hmm. resurrection, mm-hmm. or I was kind of teaching them to take a defensive posture towards other mm-hmm. people out there who might have, uh, who might not believe in it. So I do think that part of the um, Easter message could very well be, here are some reasons why we believe that this actually happened. But I don't sure. think it should be um, the majority of the message. I have I've listened to um, an, an Easter sermon from a from another church, and it was essentially it was kind of like a, a training camp for the Christians in the church. Here's what you say to your friends when they question the resurrection, and and again, that's a great thing to do. Like that's a wonderful like Sunday evening class yeah. or Wednesday night or 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 podcast to listen to, going through common objections. But it just it struck me as an odd use of of Easter Sunday to have it be an equipping class for others to go out and to explain to um, uh, non non Christians why we believe that. Christ rose from the dead. It makes me think of the very first Easter message where you have the women going to the disciples declaring he has risen and they're not giving this apologetics class and trying to explain all these mm. different reasons. They're just like joyful, uh, joyfully proclaiming, you know, he is risen. And, and, and so, um, but I, I do remember um, always enjoying my dad's Easter sermons uh, and he would 
often include a little bit of that apologetics in the message, but it wasn't the whole point. It was, I would say, you know, in a 100% message, it's like a 5% of the sermon. And just that sprinkled in, it, it was always encouraging to be like, oh, this is cool to know that this thing I believe in actually has some some weight behind it, some intellectual weight. And then as the rest of the message is the joyful proclamation, that just sort of bolsters and strengthens it, I think. So no, that that's good stuff, guys. I, I appreciate it. So what would you guys say would be some pitfalls pastors should avoid in preaching for Easter? Well, yeah, that kind of connects with what I was saying about my my regrettable Easter sermon is that essentially I tried to I, I tried to pick a quite obscure passage. Now, again, like this, you know, the book of one Peter or first Peter isn't that obscure, but it was, you know, this kind of an, an odd look. It, it's like, um, you know, sometimes Google Maps takes you to the location, but it's through all of the the weird side streets to, to, to get to the location mm. like you know, my, my preacher friends who are listening to this right now, like it's okay to take the main street, you know, it's okay to go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Mm. um, and, and just tell the story. So I think a pitfall is that where we presuppose that everyone who's going to be there on Sunday morning is bored with the story Mm -hmm. and, and you need to find a, a, um, surprising angle on it. Mm. Um, and, and, and my wife is just, is so great. Like shout out to Rachel. She reminds me all the time, especially around holidays. She's like, just tell the story. <laughs> just tell the story and talk about what it means. Mm. Um, there's not the need to um, to have a, a fresh angle on it. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, it's it's great to pull in different things, and you don't. It's okay to go beyond the, the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, however, I think it should be for those of us that are privileged to to preach Easter year in and year out. I, I think that I would suggest that most of them should just be the gospel narrative from maybe different person's perspective or, you know, like the, the women on one Sunday or Peter, the other, like, but like, just tell the story and explain what it means. Mm-hmm. That's, that's maybe a, a pitfall that I've fallen into and that Rachel Neglia has helped me to come out of. Mm, that's great. Love that. Rachel's pretty cool. I'm a fan. I'm a big fan. <laughs> I'm a big fan. So as you guys know, I'm a pastor's kid. And so that is something that's always on my heart. The PKs out there, you guys have kids as pastors. How do you help your kids appreciate the story of Easter, especially if they're like a pastor's kid that has heard it so many times over and over again? And and, and we know, like, I mean, I know from my own experience as a pastor's kid, sometimes because you're just so entrenched in that world and it's the air that you breathe, uh, familiarity breeds not contempt, but I think apathy at times. Well, in some PKs, it does breed contempt, but for me, it was apathy at times. So how do you help your own kids break through that? Yeah. Here's, here's what I've experienced. My kids do say, they'll say it out loud to me, which I think is maybe helpful that they'll just tell me straight up. They'll be like, yeah, dad, I know this story already, not just about (laughs) Easter, but about other things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, what I try to help them with is help them understand why it matters, what difference it makes, and and really what's at stake if it didn't happen. I want them to value it and appreciate it. And so, you know, we talk through it with them at home. We talk about why it's not, you know, something to be taken for granted. 
So I think just having those conversations with the kids, not just, uh, you know, having church be something like where dad works, but have it be an, an integral part of our lives. And having explained to them that Christianity, this isn't just motions that we go through every year, but there's a reason why we give this, you know, pride of place as far as Easter goes in in our celebration, because this is the hope that we have as Christians. We recently studied through 1 Corinthians 15, which of course is about the resurrection of Jesus and what's at stake for us as people. And it just reminded me, you know, there's a verse in there where he says that, that basically Paul is saying, this is the beginning of everything that God has been doing throughout all of history. Like Ephesians mm-hmm. chapter one, like God's plan for the ages is to unite all things in Christ. And then Paul goes off of that and explains how Jesus' resurrection is is just the beginning of the culmination of what we call the eschaton, the final event that everything is building up to. And this is like the first domino in the domino effect was Jesus' resurrection. So helping them understand all of the things that happen as a result of that and what it means for our world today. And again, that mm. idea that the we all have this sense that the world as we know it may be how it is, but it's not how it ought to be. And mm. the hope of the resurrection is that God has done something in history and it is going to be different. So just kind of helping that to be a visceral thing rather than just a cognizant, uh, cognitive thing, I think is important. Well, Nick, I mean, what can one say after that? I've just got a little practical tip. And the practical tip is to be finished as early as possible mm. with, with sermon prep. Um, because while, of course, we have more responsibilities on that day than than most Sundays, especially if you're doing a sunrise service or whatever, but um, to be to be present, to be a parent mm. um, in the middle of all that is 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 a gift. I I don't want my kids to grow up thinking of Easter as a time when dad is just super stressed. Mm. Now, of course, dad has more responsibilities on that Sunday than than most people do. Um, and, and is feeling, you know, you could even say the spiritual weight or and also taking opportunities that only come once a year. However, um, I want to be present um, as much as possible on that. And that comes from, the, sorry, one of the ways to be present is to wrap up the sermon prep as soon as possible, um, not to be scrambling or making slides at the last minute or um, dialing things in, but finishing early as a gift to my family. Mm. That's good. I love that. You know, the, the, the idea that you don't want your kids to think of Easter as a holiday where dad is not present and where he's not connecting with me and it's just mom, you know, that that's really important, I think. And, you know, because I, I know my wife, you know, I mean, she loves a good Easter service, but there's something in her childlike state of her heart that loves a good Easter egg hunt, even as an adult, you know, and it's like, yeah, I mean, there's nothing super spiritual about that, but, but there it, it's fun and it's family. And I think being able to combine those things, um, you know, the spiritual and then the physical and the family together is great. Do you get, do either of you guys have any traditions that you do with your own families just to help them have fun, but then maybe also connect it to just what Easter means? Well, I mean, you know, we, we've had Easter egg hunt Sunday morning and, and the very first time it happened, I, I was like, you know, again, scrambling to get things ready and, you know, said to my wonderful wife, Rachel Neglia, <laughs> um, like, Hey, what are you like? Come on, we can't do this on Easter Sunday. It's an important day. Um, and that was again, very regrettable. And then realizing, you know, this is coming only, only once a year. And it, would it kill me 
to to just give up time earlier in the week that allows me to be a little bit more more present, you know. Mm-hmm. And then again, the kids were young and they were taking forever to find the eggs. It's <laughs> like, come on. Um, and so that was not just acknowledging that was just not the best um, for best place for me to be in. Mm. And so, uh, yeah, there's 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 the Easter egg hunt, I suppose, as well. Uh, Nick, what do you guys do? Yeah, so my wife also, you know, she takes the lead on that. And um, she does an Easter egg hunt for our kids, often invites over some neighborhood kids. She likes to use it as an opportunity to reach our neighborhood. So she'll like Mm. go to houses in the neighborhood and say, hey, we're doing an Easter egg hunt at our house. And that's a way for our, our family to do something that's not just at church, but it's also a way for us to, um, you know, build rapport with our neighbors so that hopefully at some point, you know, there'll be an open door for sharing our faith with them as well. Um, another thing we do is a Hungarian tradition. It's, um, called lochulash in Hungarian, which means that you are watering the plants, but the plants are girls. And so the tradition is that you chase girls around with perfume and try to spray them. So that doesn't take very much time. Uh, we have three girls in our family and so we chase them around, uh, and it's a lot of fun. I I feel bad for making fun of another uh, country's tradition, but because a lot of our traditions are probably really bizarre to people in other countries too, but I, yeah, traditions in general just tend to be bizarre. Um, but, uh, we do it. We do a similar thing in my house. Um, most days actually where, where people chase me around (laughs) and try to make me put on deodorant. (laughs) Are you a middle school boy at a summer camp? What's going on? <laughs> oh man, love it. Yeah. Well, hey, well, I mean, on the topic of like of families, I, I mean, hey, I'm the one who kind of brought this up and talked about the importance of being of being present. And I, I also want to maybe connect this to with something like some vocabulary I've been using with my kids, um, even even recently, um, is to say like, hey, you know, God has asked our family to be involved in something really important, mm. and and then because of that there are like incredible blessings that we as a family have. We get to be on the front row seats um, of of certain things. We get to see God at work um, in a way that, you know, to be honest, sometimes other people don't. And also there's, there is costs and there's sacrifices to that. And so, you know, of course I'm going to do all that I can to be, you know, present on the, the, the time between sunrise service and, um, you know, the, the regular, um, Easter celebration. Uh, but of course, again, there's just sacrifices that we make. So I want to balance what I'm saying to, um, you know, for the, the pastors that are listening, like do what you can to be present for your kids, but then also realize, you know, there's, uh, maybe allow them and, and phrase it in such a way. God's asked our family to, to be involved in this. Mm. Yeah, and that's really there's good. benefits and there's challenges that come from it. So thank you for dealing with the challenges and I want to share the benefits mm. with you as well. That's really good. And, and I would add to that, I think something that's an important piece of the puzzle and that's talking to a lot of my peers, you know, millennial Christians who grew up in the nineties and early two thousands. I've actually heard something interesting just discussing with a lot of my Christian friends, uh, my age, you know, I'm, I'm 33. And when we were all growing up, um, the, the, the thing that I've heard is that it was kind of like a, a lot of the parents in that generation. And, and I was really lucky to have great parents in, in this regard. But a lot of my friends have told me that it was sort of like the parents were coming from this place of just like, hey, we live in a Christian culture and Christianity is just the norm. And we don't really need to even talk about it as a family because it's just, you know, you go to church and your youth pastor will talk to you about it or your children's ministry will talk to you about it. Or we're going to send you to private Christian school and they'll talk to you about it. But in the home, 
there wasn't this discussion for a lot of my friends where it's like, Hey, we're missionaries and our family's on mission and Jesus is our King. And we're living for something bigger than the American dream. You know, we're living, we're living for something bigger than sending you to the right college. We're living, we're living for something bigger than just, you know, dad's job or whatever. And I think that that's something that for a lot of my peers, they, they, they lacked growing up. And so there's this new sense for parents of my generation where it's like, Hey, we need to be preaching to our kids, you know, pastoring our homes and helping our kids just understand like we, no matter whether we're in Ireland in a you know foreign country to those of us in America, or whether we're in Colorado or Oklahoma, we are missionaries. We're not of this world. And our family is a part of something bigger than ourselves. And so just continuing to pass that story down to the next generation and make them feel as if they're a part of something bigger than themselves, I think is really important. So that's, that's what your response made me think of. Mike, Nick, we've been talking about Easter. I've got one last question for you. And I, I think, I think this is an important one as somebody who both, you know, is, has been in ministry and has served as a youth pastor, but also as a staff member of a church. Um, I think a lot of times as staff members, you can get wrapped up so much into what's going on for Easter and the production of Easter and serving your church, coming alongside your senior pastor and, 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 you know, coming alongside the vision and helping them. But for a lot of church employees, sometimes you, the, the joy of Easter and the passion for Easter can get lost in that shuffle of just trying to make the service happen and, and trying to make the right things come about. So how would you encourage church staff members to not miss out on Easter because they're so busy planning and prepping the Easter service? I can take that one first. Um, you know, here's the thing I've realized is that most people, when they go to work at a church, they imagine that this is going to be something which is going to be enriching for them spiritually. It's going to help them grow as a Christian. I think that oftentimes, though, leaders in churches, like let's say senior pastors, they think of uh, these people, you know, as being like, they think of their life as being, I don't know. Yes, they, they, they think that working in a church will help them grow spiritually, but I don't think it's necessarily their primary focus, right? They think maybe I have my relationship with God and at church, we've got to get stuff done. But I, what I've tried to remind myself of is that the people who came to work here, their hope in working at this church was that uh, this would be a life-giving rather than a life-sucking experience. And so yeah. I want to make sure that that happens for those that we lead. So what that means practically for us is that we want to um, we want to build in some reflective practices and prayer and devotional times in staff gatherings and kind of like mandatory gatherings that they're part of, right? So if you, if you have a mandatory staff meeting, then I won't make that staff meeting just business. I want to have some devotional reflective times in there that are spiritual in nature so that working at a church is distinctly different from working in any other office, business, or industry. And the other thing is I try to give our folks um, as much freedom with their schedule as possible. I say, here are the things that need to get done for this season, but you take as much time off before and afterwards as you need to. No pressure and no judgment. You know, you um, make sure that you get rest and here are the things that need to get done. So get those done and then the rest mm -hmm. is up to you. That's great. 
Love that. Yeah, Nick has a much bigger staff than I do. So I just defer to uh, to what he says. Um, maybe with a bit of like theological reflection on there, um, I would just add, you know, in 1 Corinthians 15, which Nick has already referenced, which is, I, I think it's the longest chapter in the New Testament. And it is about the resurrection of Jesus and what it means for you and me. And it just kind of goes on and on and on. And at the very, very end, Paul says, therefore, kind of to summarize all this, verse 58, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Uh, just thinking of that as a, I, I, I want to read that verse on the evening of Easter Sunday. Mm. That's kind of, I'm, I'm planning that. I may be making that in kind of an annual liturgy for myself at the end of a long day. Um, maybe there'll be visible fruit. Maybe there'll be professions of faith. Maybe there'll be baptisms. Maybe they won't be. But Paul finishes up his like long winded and deep and rich explanation of all the, some of the implications of the resurrection. And he says, and guys, your labor is not in vain. You worked hard all this Sunday and, and it's not in vain. And there's, you know, we're, we're moving the ball further down the court and um, the Lord sees this and he is honored by it. And hopefully we've, we've done a bit of good for God's kingdom on this coming Easter Sunday. That's good. Yeah. I enjoy both of your guys' responses. And I think it's helpful because, you know, just the reality is, you know, I've, I've spoken to uh, people that I would describe as like burnt out, jaded former church employees who didn't have a good experience at their church and, and, and the way that they characterize their experience. And of course there's, there's always, you know, two sides to both stories, but their, their perspective and their experience was kind of like our church was a company and the senior pastor was the product and Easter and Christmas were some of the biggest ways to market that product to new consumers. Um, and so they felt like, you know, they're just being used and, um, and kind of really put a lot of pressure on them to get Easter right. And if we don't get it right, the whole structure is going to fall down. So I, I love what you guys are both saying because it's so not that heart. Um, it's, it's not like, Hey, come prop me up. It's Hey, we're propping Jesus up. We're coming together as a team and, um, uh, and really making them kind of going back to that same thing we we're talking about with our own kids, making them feel like they're a part of something bigger and they're a part of a team and there's a goal and objective. And I love what you're saying, Nick, about those times of like, hey, let's not just work for Easter. Let's spend time together with Jesus as a team, as a group, soaking up what Easter is so that it gets in our hearts. And then we can go back out and then share what what we are excited about with the rest of the, the body, you know, so I love that, guys. It's really good. Thank you for sharing that. Well, guys, that's all my Easter questions. Uh, I think this is going to be really helpful. Uh, some of you guys are listening to this on audio, but we're going to actually be releasing on the CGN social media account. We're going to be breaking this podcast up into uh, video chunks. Um, I hate the word chunk, <laughs> but we're going to be, uh, breaking it up into chunks and releasing it. And so if you're in leadership or ministry and you find this content helpful, share it with some friends and, uh, people, other people in ministry, other pastors, just to help them think through, uh, Easter and preparations for Easter. But yeah, I just, I, I want to thank both of you guys for being here. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate the conversation. Yeah. Thanks Aaron. Really appreciate you having us on. Yeah.
Yeah. Happy to contribute any small thoughts that'll help uh, fellow preachers of the good news. Yeah. Make sure to subscribe to the Expositors Collective podcast. It's great for me as a young preacher, youngish, 33, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm still young. I'm going to hold on to that, but I really enjoy that podcast and it helps me grow so much in my own preaching and my own teaching and just even how I listen to other sermons and appreciate them and absorb them. And so, um, you guys are doing incredible work. Thank you so much for that. Is there anything you guys want to plug, <laughs> you know, before the episode's over, anything going on in expositors world you want people to know about? Yeah. Well, so we talked about our podcast and definitely encourage everybody to subscribe to that. But another thing is that we do in-person training events and mm. uh, we have one coming up in the fall in Boise, Idaho. At least that's the plan right now, but stay tuned to our website. If you go on to expositorscollective.com, you can sign up for our newsletter. You can keep uh, abreast of everything that's coming up and you can also just follow us on social media. We have a group on Facebook as well that's really active. It's a lot of fun. Mm. Mike posts really good questions, polls, things like that to interact with people. People post when they have needs or thoughts, help, things like that. So that's a really good community. That is a group that you just request access to. Uh, if you look up Expositors Collective on um, Facebook, you should find it pretty easily. Awesome. Yeah, that's right. And make sure everyone goes and buys The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity by Nick Cady. It's good. I've read... That's my plug. I've read that's at least plug. one chapter so far, and it was great. So good. Uh, the other chapters are bound to be great as well. So yeah, thanks for writing that, Nick. I'm excited to dive into the rest. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks.